verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Christ. The ancient letter begins with the name of the sender, then addresses the recipient, which is then followed by the customary greeting, which is usually shalom or peace. But for Christians, grace is added, so grace and peace. Apparently, Peter is the sender of this letter, and he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But who is Peter? What else do we know about him? There have been some misconceptions about Peter, and one of them, even from his time, is that he was an ignorant, uneducated fisherman. Some even argue that Peter could have now written this letter in this complicated Greek. His sentence is long, even from verse 3 through 9 here, it's one long uh, Greek sentence. So, if we are to understand what Peter wrote and why he wrote, and that it is indeed he who wrote, we need to understand a few things about Peter. First, his origin and background. From the Gospels of Matthew and John, we know that he was called Simon Barjona before he was given the name Peter by Jesus. Simon was a very popular name among the Palestinian Jews. Barjona, which means son of John, was a common Galilean name. And yes, according to the Gospel of John, Peter is originally from Bethsaida, a fishing town in the region of Galilee. In fact, the name Bethsaida means house of fishing. But Bethsaida was not some remote fishing town tucked away from the hustle and bustle of the world. On the contrary, it was on one of the most important trade routes called Via Maris, and it was a multi-ethnic and multicultural town, albeit largely secular Hellenistic, and both Aramaic and Greek were spoken. As Pastor Terra once mentioned, Aramaic was the common language spoken by the Jews of the time, and Jesus and his disciples also spoke in Aramaic. What about Hebrew? Hebrew is one of the Western dialects of Aramaic. So it is very likely that Peter grew up bilingual, speaking Aramaic and at least conversational Greek since childhood. Maybe he was trilingual, speaking Hebrew as well, because as a Jewish man, he must have received a customary education through the local synagogue. In fact, this letter shows his familiarity with the scripture, uh, that is what we now call the Old Testament. In other words, he was not an ignorant, uneducated fisherman, as the Jerusalem authorities regarded him in Acts 4.13. Nevertheless, being from Galilee, he spoke Aramaic with an unmistakably Galilean accent. We all remember that when Peter was in the courtyard uh, of the high priest Caiaphas, when Jesus was being tried uh, by the council inside, a servant girl uh, recognized him and said, you're with Jesus. And Peter denied and saying, no, I do not know him. Then the bystanders said, surely you are one of them because you speak with a Galilean accent. By the way, this implies that our Lord Jesus, being also from Galilee in his humanity, spoke Aramaic with the Galilean accent. The thing is, 
the Galilean accent carried unflattering cultural connotations that subjected Galileans to mockery and snobbery for their presumed ignorance. I myself am guilty of judging others by the outward signs, especially when I was an unbeliever. For example, I was born in the capital city of South Korea, which is Seoul. My husband was born in a smaller city of South Korea called Busan. The people of Busan have a thick accent, and I used to regard them somehow less desirable than the people from the capital city. Going back to Peter, so his youth in Bethsaida surely laid a cultural groundwork for him so that he could later reach out to the Greek-speaking world. From Bethsaida, he then moved to Capernaum, or a more prosperous town in Galilee, with a thriving Jewish minority, a thriving Jewish community. Um, Jews were still minority, but they had this thriving Jewish community. And according to the Synoptic Gospels, um, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Peter was living a settled and somewhat stable life there. He was living in a sizable house with his wife and mother-in-law, had his own fishing boat. That means he had his own fishing business. So by all means, he was a part of the small middle class in the socioeconomic structure of Galilee at the time, and it was used for God's kingdom. So Jesus called him there in Capernaum. In fact, he and his brother Andrew were the first disciples called by Jesus. And Jesus gave him the Aramaic name, Kephal, which means rock, and it is translated Petros in Greek and Peter in English. However, unlike his other name, Simon, which was a popular name, Kephal was an unusual name, which must have distinguished Peter already. And Peter did not hesitate to leave his fishing business behind and follow Jesus. Soon, Peter's house became a center of activity and the base for Jesus' ministry. According to Mark 1.33 and 2.2, the whole town gathered around the door of Peter's house. And since they gathered in such a large numbers, there was no room left inside the house and not even outside the door. Then, following Jesus, Peter left his home behind and went to Judea. That's where the Jerusalem is. However, we know that before the death of Jesus Christ, Peter failed miserably um, to keep his promise and remain faithful to Jesus, denying him three times. Nevertheless, after the resurrection of Jesus, just as Jesus prayed for him, Peter remained faithful to the end. And having become uh, the de facto leader of the apostles in Jerusalem, he strengthened his brothers for nearly 10 years until he was persecuted and put in prison. And then, escaping from prison, he left Jerusalem around AD 41 or 42. We do not know for sure where he went afterwards, but some suggest that Peter went to part of the northern Asia Minor, the regions mentioned in this letter, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Indeed, the people of God in those regions are the recipients of this letter. Let me read again the uh, second part of verse 1. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are, in fact, the names of Roman provinces. Some scholars suggest that Peter went to Rome after leaving Jerusalem and established a church there, 
According to one tradition, Peter was the leader of the church in Rome for 25 years, uh, from AD 42 to 67. The Christians were expelled from Rome as they were considered a troublesome group, and they were deported by the Roman government to those five regions in northern Asia Minor as part of the Roman colonization scheme. And Peter is now writing this letter to encourage them to remain faithful to live as God's people in the face of various trials in the increasingly hostile and secular world. So in the body of the letter from verse 3, Peter begins with a praise of God. In fact, the next section from verses 3 to 12 is one big doxology, a praise of God for our salvation. In particular, Peter praises God for giving us a new birth into a new a living hope. But let me read the beginning of the praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Here, uh, giving us new birth into a living hope means first, that God is indeed our Father. The phrase, God has given us a new birth, can be translated as, God begot us again, or God caused us to be born again. That is, God is not only the Father of our Lord Jesus, but Father of us. He made us His children. And second, we are born again by God's divine initiative and power. It is God's doing. And that's why Peter writes, it is by his great mercy that we are born again. It is not by anything that we ever did or did not do. Third, we are born again into a living hope. What does Peter mean by a living hope? Here, Peter is contrasting the Christian hope with the hopelessness of pagan religion. Those who do not know God and believe in our God cannot hope anything beyond what is perishable, corruptible, and fading. In other words, their hope, if they have hope, is already a dead hope. It will disappear in a moment of time. And people without hope often choose death. Before I became a Christian, when my life took a bad turn and things seemed hopeless, I tried to end my life because I did not see the point of living on. Of course, what may come beyond death, or as Shakespeare put it in Hamlet, but dreams may come in that sleep of death, at times scared me. But thanks be to God, for God had mercy on me and let me live. Thanks be to God, for he had mercy on us. Our God is indeed a living God, and our hope is in this living God. Merciful and faithful, keeps his promises and gives us the imperishable, incorruptible, and unfading inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, that is, our inheritance in his everlasting kingdom, and that is our salvation. And our salvation has begun already by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we are reborn and regenerated, as we are in Christ, that is, united with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we are justified in Christ, 
and adopted as God's children, thereby becoming co-heirs with Jesus. And we continue in our salvation as we go through the sanctification process throughout our lives. And our salvation will be complete in the last day when Christ comes again to judge the world, when we will be vindicated and glorified with Christ Jesus. Like the kingdom of God, which has begun already, but not yet complete, our salvation has begun already, but not yet complete. It will be complete when we are glorified in Jesus after we die, unless Christ returns in our lifetime. And that's why Peter is talking about the salvation in the future term as something to be revealed in the last time. Until then, we are protected by the power of God through faith. And faith is indeed hoping in that invisible yet sure reality as written in Hebrews 11.1. 1. That hope is the living hope. That is our already but not yet salvation, which is in God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.